Well, as you've already heard, we are in the second part of a five-week series from the book of Proverbs that I've entitled Street Smart, A Revolution of Wisdom. Last week, we looked at the first part of Proverbs 1. Kim took us into some of the verses from the second part of Proverbs 1. Uh, And we saw that wisdom last week is knowledge applied, that wisdom is a choice, that wisdom or becoming wise takes time, and that wisdom has a social element to it. There is a community element to wisdom, that wisdom is meant to be shared, that the whole book of Proverbs is set up as either a proverbist sharing wisdom or a father sharing wisdom with a son. And we saw that the power of that is that when I share wisdom with you, I don't become less wise. That you might become more wise, but I'm not becoming less wise by sharing it. It is a positive sum exchange. That by sharing wisdom, wisdom actually grows. And this is part of the way that wisdom has this revolutionary flavor to it. And that if we could become people who bring wisdom to the problems of our city and bring wisdom to our workplace and bring wisdom to our family, then we could perhaps experience a kind of revolution of influence that perhaps the church could regain its voice if Christianity and wisdom became associated with one another. What would it be like if in a conundrum of some sort that people would say, you know what, we need to get a Christian in here because they're wise. Today I'd like to share with you two words that you will never ever need to know. Sort of the reality of what's about to happen, protasis and apodosis. Protasis and apodosis. Now they sound like characters from some Greek tragedy. But what they actually are are two things that underpin most of your lives. Most of your daily existence is protasis and apodosis, and you didn't even know it. Let me try to explain. As you well know, when you open a bank account or download a program on the computer or update your iTunes, there will be a message that says, a little checkbox, and a message that says, I have read the terms and conditions. And then we all lie. (laughs) Because we check the box, and very few of us have read the terms and conditions, partly because we're probably overly trusting of those people, IT people. (laughs) You know who you are. Partly maybe because we're overly trusting of those people, but partly because we're very used to a life of conditions, We kind of understand that there is a conditional aspect of much of what we do. There's this if-then to our existence. If A, then B. If you go to work every day, then you will be paid. We're used to that. Every day is an if-then. If you fulfill all your course requirements, then you will get a degree. If you replace your roof, it will stop leaking. If you shower, you shall be clean. They're if-thens. Now, it doesn't always work out, right? It's not always 100% guaranteed because there's these other outlying factors. So you could, in fact, fix your roof only to find out that the leak was coming up through the flashing. Or you could, in fact, go to work every day, and then your boss chooses not to pay you. But the reality is is that you're just exchanging one if-then for another. If your boss is a swindler, you might not get paid. So we're very used to this idea of the if-then. 
from the most basic level of our lives to sort of the most important levels of our lives, we are kind of wired for the if-then. We are okay with the if-then. We know that much of our lives are conditional. We embrace it. We embrace the if. Grammatically, the if part of the phrase is the protasis. The then is the apodosis. Your lives are protasis and apodosis. If and then. We all understand if A, then B. We teach our children, do A, receive B. And even the first interaction we have recorded in Scripture from God to humanity is conditional. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall die. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you will die. It's a conditional statement right from the beginning. It's almost like we're wired to live the protasis and the apodosis. Well, we did eat of the tree, and we have been messed up ever since in multiple ways, but our understanding of the if-then, our understanding of the conditional, is one of the ways that we have been warped by sin. So even though we're very comfortable with the if-then, we're very comfortable with the conditional, sin has crept into our understanding of it. And I want to talk about three ways that this is true. I'm just going to briefly talk about the first two and focus on the third, because that's what the Proverbs from the day focuses on. Here are three ways that we have um, had sin has messed up our understanding of the conditional. Here's the first way. First, we have made the few things in life that are not conditional, conditional. We have made the few things in life that are not conditional, conditional. Here's an example. Instead of affirming that all humans, that all humans are fully and equally valuable, we have made this conditional. We have made people's value conditional on their wealth, on their race, on their age, on their gender, on where they grew up. So instead of taking something that is supposed to be not conditional, sin has made us take that thing and it has become conditional. We've warped it. It's an effect of the fall. There's a whole sermon on that as well, but I'm going to move on to the second one. Second way that we've warped this idea of the if-then is that spiritually speaking, when we do the ifs that God has laid out, when we do what he has told us to do, we begin to think that we now deserve the thens. We think we can point at God and say, I did this and I now deserve whatever we think we deserve. We've done the if. God, I've done the if. Where's my then? I'm not getting the then. I deserve it now. But all of the if-then if conditionals that we'll be talking about today and all the if-then conditionals anywhere in Scripture are all under a larger umbrella of God's grace. We will never have enough wisdom to deserve God's care. We will never have enough um, humility to deserve what Christ did for us on the cross. We will not ever deserve any of this. 
all of this if-then um, conditional parts of our lives that God puts us through is part of him growing us and discipling us and caring for us. It's not a system by which we eventually earn the salvation that we've been given. Are you with me? So there's not an if-then with that. That is purely grace. And even the fact that we get anything from the Lord is part of his grace. It is part of this larger system of unmerited favor that God has given us. So we never get to the point where we can point our finger to God and say, I deserve. We don't want what we deserve. I think we've probably covered that in other weeks together. Again, there's a whole sermon there, but I want to focus on the third way that we misunderstand the conditionals of life. And that is this. And I think this will ring true when I say it. We all want the thens. We'd rather kind of not bother with the ifs. We want, for example, to be healthy. But we don't really want the if of exercise. If you exercise, then you'll be healthy. We just got, God, can I just be healthy? And have cheeseburgers? Is that, is that possible? If you, if you skip fast food, then you'll be healthy. And we're like, actually, I just want the then I'll be healthy part. Some people want lots of money, eh, but work. I'm not really into the work. Can I just get the then and not the if? It, it gets down to the most benign. You look at your garden plot out in front of your house, you know, let's say in, in you know, late April, and you go, man, what's with all the weeds? I want a garden without weeds. But what don't we want to do? Weed. We want the then without the if. If you weed, your garden will not have weeds. But we just want a garden without weeds. We don't want to do the work that brings us to the then. We don't want to do the if that brings us to the then. And many of us want good things from God. But we don't want to be bothered with gaining wisdom. We want the then, but we're not willing to put the effort in for the if. Look with me at Proverbs 2, 1 through 9. Proverbs 2, 1 through 9. This is set up in the format of an if-then. It's the conditional. It's the protasis and the apodosis. I promise I won't use those words anymore. You, You can forget them right now. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is the shield for those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. The logic of the passage is it's a relatively complicated if-then statement. If is only mentioned three times, but that word if applies to each of the phrases in those verses. So if I could kind of break it all down using ifs, it would look something like this. 
If you receive my words, if you treasure up my commands, if you make your ear attentive, if you incline your heart, if you call out for insight, if you raise your voice, if you seek wisdom like silver, if you search for it like hidden treasure. That's sort of the list of ifs. And what strikes me about this particular list of ifs is that it it kind of ramps up as it goes along in terms of our heart towards wisdom. It starts out with sort of a passive willingness to receive wisdom. So like you're here today, so you've kind of got that one done. You've put yourself in a place where you're willing to receive wisdom. And maybe you're even inclining your ear to it right now. And hopefully you're inclining your heart to it. That you're not only listening with your ears, but you're opening your heart and you're asking for the Spirit to show you how all of this um, from God's Word today applies to your heart. You may even be asking people for wisdom. You may even be seeking out wisdom from others. So we sometimes kind of feel successful as we go down the list. Things get a little rough at the end. At least they do for me. Seek wisdom like silver. Search for it like hidden treasure. I don't know if I can say that I seek wisdom like I would seek a guaranteed pile of treasure buried in my yard. I might be out there digging up my yard. I might have Gary driving down the road with a a backhoe, ready to go. I know I have it in me. I know that I have the capacity to seek and search for something I really want. Here's how I know. The baking powder submarine. There was only one place back in the 1980s that you could find the baking powder submarine. It was in specially marked boxes of Kellogg's cereal. And there I would sit with the aforementioned specially marked box. And I knew that the yellow baking powder submarine was somewhere in that box. But we had a rule at my house. You had to wait so you got to it in the natural breakfast-eating fashion. Well, (laughs) well, you know how that worked out. So then... The whole challenge came to be, how can I get this toy without my mom knowing that I dove in for it? So you have to, like, it took strategy. Because if you took the bag out of the box, then the bag would kind of, like, expand, and you couldn't get it back in the box because mom would know. And, of course, you couldn't just dump it all out on the table because mom would know. So it became this challenge of shaking the box, you know, shaking it, kind of reaching in around, trying not to deform the box, reach in, reach around, until you finally got your hand on the little plastic bag and you pull it out in victory. The baking soda submarine, baking powder submarine. If you don't know, by the way, the way the baking powder submarine worked is that you put baking powder into this little submarine, and if you put it in the water, it would sink to the bottom, but then the baking powder would react with the water, and bubbles would come out, and it would rise. And then the air would, the gases would go out into the air, and it would sink again, and then rise again. It was awesome. I mean, it was 1988 year old Rick awesome, but it was awesome. <laughs> The only thing better 
than the yellow baking powder submarine. For those, some of you may be tracking with me. I don't know if you remember this. There was little divers. We called, they were frogmen, we called them. They had little goggles and little flippers. You put baking powder into that guy, and he would, like, swim around the bathtub. If, if I had a box with that in it, I didn't even dig. I just put my face into the box, and I just ate my way just right down to the toy. We all have stories like that. All right, well, maybe not, like, maybe not like that, but we all have stories. You have a story where you searched for something that wasn't silver, but you searched for it like it was. And it may have been the most benign thing ever. Some of you who do home improvement, as I often do, there'll be like two screws for a certain light fixture, and I'll drop one, and it'll be like, everyone freeze. Because I don't know where I'm going to get another screw just like that one, so no one move. And those things, they, they'll, they'll bounce like 400 feet. I don't know how they do it, but it, you land, it's way over there somewhere. But you search for it like it's hidden treasure. Why is it that we don't search for wisdom that way? Why is it that wisdom has not ranked for us as something worth seeking? Part of it might be, there's probably lots of reasons, part of it might be this. We are not really convinced that wisdom is all that valuable. We just don't think it's all that important. But the passage gives us the thens to motivate us, to help us to see the value of pursuing wisdom. What are the thens? I did the same thing as I did with the ifs. I just put the then in front of each phrase. Then you will understand the fear of God. Then you will find the knowledge of God. Then you will understand righteousness. Then you will understand justice. Then you will understand equity. Then you will understand every good path. When I think of it that way, I feel hope rise up within me that says, I can pursue wisdom because I want to know every good path. But we must remember that every good path that we all desire to know is the then of the if. In this case, the if is pursuing Wisdom. Let me give you another illustration. Back in 1995, I took, a missions, I took a group of students to New York City on a missions trip. Dan was actually part of this missions trip. I was the youth pastor when Dan was, what grade would that have been for you? Ninth, eighth, ninth, tenth grade. He was a young guy. And there's this picture. I looked all over the other campus for it. I couldn't find it. There's this picture from that, that missions trip of, of a big subway map. And all of us staring at it. I, had, I was literally scratching my head. There's literally a picture of me scratching my head, looking at it. The kids are all kind of standing around. There's somebody, you know, kind of pointing to something. It's a great picture of a bunch of total newbies trying to figure out a subway map. We were trying to understand every good path, primarily the good one that would take us into Manhattan. That was the good one we were looking for. But there's really something deeper going on here. And it's something deeper that goes on anytime you use a subway map or a bus route map or a GPS. And the deeper thing I think is touched on if we look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This kind of carries over the idea of a good path that ended um, chapter 2, verse 9. 
And it's a, it's a more well-known verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. The power of straight paths, the power of good paths, listen to this, the power of good paths is not really in the paths themselves. It's one step deeper. When you look at a map, the power doesn't rest in the map. It rests in the one who made the map. The map is only as trustworthy as the map maker. Have you, ever, have you ever had like a GPS or a map and you follow it and you get to your location and it's not right? You, are, you start staggering around, confused, right? You're looking, you're looking at the map, you're staring, you're, you're totally disoriented, both literally and metaphorically. You have, you're just staring. It's like you've entered another dimension. And then you start saying silly things like, the building's supposed to be right here. Like somehow it's more logical that the building has moved than that your map is wrong. The building, it should be right here. It should be right here. There should be a building right here. We say these things because we have this deep trust in the map. I followed the map. Here's an exact, almost an exact dialogue from last year with my then 18-year-old daughter. Dad. Do you know where you're going? Kelsey. No, but I'll Google map it. Dad, now sounding like he's from the 1950s. Do you want to look at it with me to make sure you don't get lost? Kelsey. No, I have Siri. She'll just tell me where to turn. Dad, now sounding like he's from the Stone Age. Well, what if the map is wrong? Kelsey. Dad, it's Google Maps. And that was, that was it. For her, that was the final argument. Dad, it's Google Maps. Her straight paths, her good paths, her direction was predicated 100% on the trust that she had for the map maker. She trusted the map maker, and therefore, Dad, it's Google Maps. And in Proverbs, in this chapter 3 part of Proverbs, we find that the then of straight paths is predicated on the if of trusting in the Lord, acknowledging the Lord, leaning on God. Over the last few weeks, several of you have asked myself and Gina to pray for you for a different kind of direction in your life. You're, you're, ma- you're making a decision. Um, you have some sort of, uh, cl- you need some kind of clarity. And uh, as I was praying for you and as I was studying Proverbs, the Lord kept leading me not so much to pray that you would have clarity or straight paths, but that you would trust the Lord. That you would trust the Lord. Because that, that is the, the if. That's the first thing. Trust the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Then you will have straight paths. 
I encourage you to spend some time in, in more of Proverbs 3 because the whole section, Proverbs, of the first section of Proverbs 3, is all set up like this. So let's just look at another one. Uh, look at three verses 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. This is a then we all want. We all want to find favor before God and favor before others. We want that then. What is the if? Let love and faithfulness be around your neck and in your heart. If you have a spirit of love and faith, think about the logic of it. If you have a spirit of love and faithfulness written in your heart, and you're wearing love and faithfulness around your neck so that all who see you think love and faithfulness, then what does that provide for you? Favor before God and others. So we can't just go for the then. We need to do the work of the if, of writing God's heart, God's uh, truth on our hearts, love and faithfulness on our hearts. As the worship team comes up, let's just look at one more. Look at 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. And it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The then, healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. But there is an if. Don't be arrogant. Fear the Lord. Turn from evil. Those ifs bring the result of refreshment and healing. Let's focus our lives on these things that God says are the ifs. Let us be people who are digging for the deeper things. Let's dig for humility, for understanding, for love, and for faithfulness. We can be the kind of hopeful, wise people that our friends and our families and our communities need. Do you want good paths? As we all do, then dig for it. Search out wisdom. And do you want straight paths? Do you want direction? Then pray for trust.